Hello, and welcome to today's Tyler Technologies second quarter 2023 conference call. Your host for today's call is Len Moore, president and CEO of Tyler Technologies. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Later, we will conduct a question and answer session and instructions will follow at that time. In order to address your questions and stay within the allotted time, please limit your question to one question per person. As a reminder, this conference is being recorded today, July 27th, 2023. I would like to turn the call over to Hala El-Sherbini, Tyler's Senior Director of Investor, Investor Relations. Please go ahead. Thank you, Colby, and welcome to our call. With me today is Lynn Moore, our President and Chief Executive Officer, and Brian Miller, our Chief Financial Officer. After I give the safe harbor statement, Lynn will have some additional comments on our quarter, and then Brian will review the details of our results and provide an update to our annual guidance. Lynn will end with uh, some additional comments, and then we'll take your questions. During this conference call, management may make statements that provide information other than historical information and may include projections concerning the company's future results, future prospects, revenues, expenses, and profits. Such statements are considered forward-looking statements under the safe harbor provision of the Private Securities Litigation Reform Act of 1995 and are subject to certain risks and uncertainties which could cause actual results to differ materially from these projections. We would refer you to our Form 10-K and other SEC filings for more information on those risks. Also, in our earnings release, we have included non-GAAP measures that we believe facilitate understanding of our results and comparisons with peers in the software industry. A reconciliation of GAAP to non-GAAP measures is provided in our earnings release. We've also posted on the Investor Relations section of our website under the Financials tab schedules with supplemental information, including information about our quarterly bookings, backlog, and recurring revenues. On the Events and Presentations tab, we posted an earnings summary slide deck to supplement our, our prepared remarks. Please note that all growth comparisons we make on the call today will relate to the corresponding period of last year unless we specify, specify otherwise. Lynn? Thanks, Hala. Tyler delivered exceptionally strong second quarter results that exceeded expectations across our key performance measures. We also reached a new milestone for totally quarterly, total quarterly revenues, surpassing the $500 million mark for the first time. Our results reflect a high level of execution and collaborative one-tiler approach across our organization that is the foundation of our long-term growth strategy. Total revenue growth was 7.6% with 10.4% organic growth. Recurring revenue comprised 82% of our quarterly revenues and grew organically almost 11%. It's gratifying to achieve double-digit revenue growth even as the shift to SaaS and our new software contract mix continue to accelerate, with SaaS deals comprising 82% of our Q2 new software contract value. Most importantly, SaaS revenues grew organically 20%, our 10th consecutive quarter of SaaS revenue growth of 20% or more. At the start of the year, we characterized 2023 as a pivotal year in our cloud transition, where the significant Significant decline in license revenue is replaced by valuable long-term recurring SaaS revenue. Now halfway through the year, the accelerated pace of cloud adoption, 
coupled with our heightened focus on our cloud optimization and migration efforts, position us well to drive sustained long-term growth and operating margin improvement. While operating margins this quarter declined from last year as expected due to our cloud transitions, margins were better than planned because of operating efficiencies. We continue to deliver results that reflect our competitive strengths and market-leading position in the public sector. Key to our performance is our hyper-focus on leveraging our largest asset, our unmatched installed client base, to drive an increasing number of cross-sell and upsell wins, prioritize migration of on-premises clients to the cloud, and capture higher transaction volumes through our unified payment solution. Overall, sales activity is high in what we see as a robust demand environment, with leading indicators such as RFPs and demos generally at or above pre-COVID highs. In addition to software solutions, our unified payment strategy and our digital solutions division continue to prove their tremendous value to our growth algorithm. During the second quarter, we signed 132 new payment deals, including a contract with Cook County, Illinois for traffic court payments. We also signed renewals of our state enterprise contracts in Wisconsin and Connecticut, and extensions of our state enterprise agreements in West Virginia, Illinois, Idaho, New Jersey, and Kentucky. Additionally, synergies from our disbursements business through our acquisition of rapid financial solutions and deals influenced by data and insights continue to materialize and provide compelling offerings in the state and federal markets. I'd like to highlight a few strategic second quarter deals that illustrate these successes. We've seen growing momentum in the public safety market with our best first half sales performance since we acquired New World in 2015. During the second quarter, we signed contracts with two state police organizations for enterprise CAD and mobility solutions. These marquee license agreements include a cloud deployment for the Oregon State Police and an on-premises deployment for the Missouri State Highway Patrol. Additionally, Harris County, Texas, the third largest county in the United States, selected Tyler's Enforcement Mobile Solution for e-citations and e-crash applications. We won a cross-sell opportunity with the Michigan Bureau of Elections, a digital solutions division client, to replace an existing custom solution with Tyler's application platform, formerly IntelliTrack, with 1.7 million of ARR. We also added our enterprise licensing platform and one outdoor solution under our state enterprise agreement in Illinois with 5.2 million of ARR. 94 clients signed contracts to migrate on-premises Tyler Solutions to the cloud, including DeKalb County, Georgia for their enterprise justice solution, Charleston, West Virginia for their enterprise ERP solution, and the Wyoming State Patrol for their public safety solution. Now I'd like for Brian to provide more detail on the results for the quarter and our annual guidance for 2023. Thanks, Lynn. Total revenues for the quarter were $504.3 million, up 7.6%. Organic revenue growth, which also excludes COVID-related revenues in 2022, was 10.4%. Last year's second quarter included $15.2 million of revenues from COVID-related initiatives at our Digital Solutions Division, formerly NIC, all of which ended in 2022. Subscriptions revenues increased 16.4% and organically rose 16%. Within subscriptions, our SaaS revenues grew 20% to $131.5 million, and transaction revenues grew 13.7% to $166.3 million. 
On an organic basis, transaction revenues grew 12.8%. License revenue declined 34.8% as our new software contract mix continued to shift to SaaS at an accelerated pace, with SaaS deals comprising 82% of our Q2 new software contract value compared to 74% last year. Professional services revenue declined 7.7% due to the absence of COVID-related revenues, but rose 12.9% organically. We added 170 new SaaS arrangements and converted 94 existing on-premises clients to SaaS, with a total contract value of approximately $93 million. In Q2 of last year, we added 167 new SaaS arrangements and had 96 on-premises conversions, with a total contract value of approximately $115 million. As a reminder, in last year's second quarter, we signed a $20 million SaaS contract for a digital motor vehicle titling solution in New Jersey. Our total annualized recurring revenue was approximately $1.66 billion, up 11.2%, and organically grew 11.6%. Operating margins in the quarter were once again pressured by the acceleration of the shift to the cloud in new business and the related decline in license revenues. We've also seen expenses associated with employee health benefits grow well above planned levels during the first half of the year, and we remain cautious about future increases for the balance of the year and next year. As we've previously stated, we expect operating margins to trough in 2023 and to return to a trajectory of margin expansion in 2024. As we also discussed in prior quarters, merchant and interchange fees from our payments business under the gross revenue model have a meaningful impact on our overall margins. In Q2, we paid merchant fees of approximately $44 million. If those fees were netted out of both revenues and cost of revenues, our consolidated non-GAAP operating margin for the quarter would have been approximately 220 basis points higher. Both cash flows from operations and free cash flow were negative this quarter at $19.2 million negative and $33.2 million, respectively mainly due to incremental cash tax payments of approximately $90 million related to the current status of IRC Section 174 capitalization rules. On a pro forma basis, excluding the Section 174 cash taxes, our year-to-date free cash flow would be approximately $120 million, up 19% over last year. We did not pay down term debt in Q2 due to the elevated cash tax payments, but we expect to continue to prioritize debt payments as our cash flow accelerates in the second half of the year. We ended Q2 with total outstanding debt of $875 million and cash and investments of approximately $148 million and net leverage at quarter end of approximately 1.55 times trailing 12-month pro forma EBITDA. Our updated 2023 guidance is as follows. We expect total revenues will be between $1.94 billion and $1.965 billion. The midpoint of our guidance implies organic growth of approximately 8%. We expect gap-diluted EPS will be between $3.87 and $4.02 and may vary significantly due to the impact of stock option activity on the gap-effective tax rates. We expect non-gap-diluted EPS will be between $7.60 and $7.75. Interest expense is expected to be approximately $25 million, including approximately $5 million of non-cash amortization of debt discounts and issuance costs. Other details of our guidance are included in our earnings release and in the Q2 earnings deck posted on our website.
In conjunction with our guidance for the full year, I'd like to remind you of the seasonality around our transaction revenues. While transaction revenues will grow year over year, we expect they will decline sequentially in Q3 and again in Q4. Historically, transaction revenues are driven by two primary factors, state-determined deadlines like corporate filings and hunting seasons, and the number of business days. Transaction revenues typically are at the highest in Q2, coinciding with peak outdoor seasons and tax deadlines. Transactions are at a seasonal low in the fourth quarter with fewer business days and less activity around the holidays. In addition, starting in Q3, we'll see the revenue impact of contractual changes in one of our state enterprise agreements that includes a move from, gross, from a gross to net model for payments. Now I'd like to turn the call back over to Lynn. Thanks, Brian. We finished a strong quarter and first half performance excelled across our business. The quarter was highlighted by two highly successful events, Connect 2023, which was our most attended user conference to date with nearly 6,000 attendees, and our first standalone investor event in four years, where we unveiled our Tyler 2030 vision and key growth pillars driving our strategic direction toward organic recurring revenue long-term CAGR of 10 to 12%, sustainable margin expansion with non-GAAP operating margins of 30% or greater, and expanded free cash flow of $1 billion and free cash flow margins in the high 20s. If you didn't attend our investor day in person or virtually, we invite you to watch the replay or access the presentations on our website. It's an exciting time in Tyler's next era of growth, and we see a clear pathway to achieve our mid and long-term goals, guided by a well-defined growth strategy and powerful financial algorithm to deliver sustained value creation and support our public sector clients' digitally empowered future. Now we'd like to open the line for Q&A. We will now begin the question and answer session. To enter a question into the question queue, please press star one on your touchtone phone. If you are using a speakerphone, please pick up your handset and then press the star key and the number one. To withdraw your request, press the star key then the number one. As a reminder, please limit your question to one question so we may stay within the allotted time. We will pause momentarily to assemble our roster. Your first question comes from the line of Pete Heckman from DA Davidson. Your line is open. Hey, good morning. Thanks for taking the question. And can you talk a little bit about um, the ERP business and, and uh, whether you've seen any uh, changing dynamics there competitively. I've always thought it was interesting that you know, some of the big horizontal ERP companies really just focus on the top tier. Uh, but are, are you seeing any instances of, of some players, maybe like Workday coming down into the into the mid-tier where, where Tyler has historically been, been very strong? Yeah, sure, Pete. I think to start the background, um, the ERP market is is really strong right now. Um, market activity is good. It's uh, RFPs are up, demos are up. Um, I think we comment on that at, at the end of the first quarter earnings call. Um, you know, it is a very competitive market. Um, we do see uh, Workday uh, more so at the top end, as you mentioned, um, more so in, in larger deals, and and really, it's we see them more in deals where. Um, Clients may be, may be driven more from an HR or point solution rather than a suite solution, um, and, and they compete very well there. Um, you know, we, we think over the long term that having a suite of products that's fully integrated um, is the best bet, 
um, and and we're, we're competing well when we when we compete on that front. Okay, and then in terms of like the, some of the dynamics around uh, in to out migration, you know, it, it seems like th th that's continuing apace. Um, I, I guess are there are there any pockets of either uh, you know, certain certain software products that that will need to be upgraded uh, before they can be moved into the cloud, or, or or just certain areas where where the customer base is maybe even more reluctant, um, where where you think they could be holdouts. Um, uh, in terms of of, uh, of eventually moving to the cloud. Yeah, no, that's right. That's one of the I think we talked a little bit about that at the investor conference. Um, you know, one of the uh, I guess hurdles to, to getting people into the cloud and, and getting them uh, upgraded and migrated is um, some of them are on on older versions, and and that's something that we're consciously attacking across all our product lines. Um, trying to get to to version collapse, um, some divisions are are a little head more head than others, um, but I think it also sort of highlights what I what I've said a lot of times is you know Tyler's not really going through a single cloud transition; it's going through multiple cloud transitions because we have multiple core applications who are in in different stages with different versions out there, um, different technology, different beginning points, different endpoints, and so it's it's kind of it's a it's a lot of moving parts. Um, but yeah, that's certainly a key factor that plays across all of them, and and, and different products are in different points right now. And, and I'll just add okay. to that that um, public safety is probably the area that lags both in terms of adoption of new customers um, of the cloud and migration of, of existing customers, but that is changing. Um, we're seeing a, a continuous move towards a higher percentage of the new public safety deals coming to us in the cloud. And this year we've had our first two uh, flips of, of on-prem public safety clients um, to the cloud, one in Q1 and then uh, the Wyoming State Patrol this quarter. Okay, that's good to hear. I appreciate it. I'll get back in the queue. Your next question comes from the line of Matthew Van Vliet from BTIG. Your line is open. Yeah, good morning. Thanks for taking the question. Um, I guess as we, we look at uh, the strength of the SaaS business, and especially on the SaaS bookings, I um, wonder if you could help us think through maybe the, the cadence of the bookings throughout the quarter. Were they a little bit more back-end weighted um, or anything from sort of a timing perspective? And then a second part there is you know, we seem to have seen some of the best organic growth in, in a number of quarters here. So business is performing well, but maybe think about um, why you didn't maybe raise the midpoint of the, the revenue guidance for the year, just sort of what went into the process of um, essentially maintaining the, the midpoint on the, the guidance there. Thanks. Yeah. Um, I'd say the cadence of bookings has been pretty normal. Our bookings typically are not, terribly back-end loaded, they tend to be, within a quarter, they tend to be, um, you know, generally spread throughout the quarter. We always have some push to get things in at the end of the quarter, but, but probably different than some of the businesses, um, software businesses that are, that are focused on the private sector. So I don't think there's anything unusual this quarter. Um, it, as we said, it continues to be a, a pretty robust market with a lot of activity. Um, in terms of, of the revenue guidance, um, typically, we're, we're not making big changes in that uh, through uh, the early part of the year. We did narrow the range, um, so more confident around uh, um, where the bottom end and the top end are, but um, 
Um, our expectations really haven't changed. It's more um, around uh, the timing. Um, this quarter there were um, um, a few deals that happened um, maybe a little earlier than uh, than we planned in the year, but um, but our, our outlook for the full year really hasn't changed much other than to narrow. Okay, great. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Terry Tillman from Truist Securities. Your line is open. Hi, good morning, Lynn, Brian, and uh, Hala. Uh, thanks for taking my question and follow-up. Uh, and maybe, Lynn, first question for you is uh, in terms of unified payments, and, you know, you, you called out 132 payment deals. Uh, I'm just curious on that kind of revenue synergy side uh, and now taking into account new use cases around disbursements. How does the back half look in terms of kind of building, you know, confidence in these revenue synergies? And can you keep building on top of like 132 payment deals as we move into 3Q and, and, and beyond? Just a little bit more around, could we see more goodness where you've seen so far? Yeah, Terry, that's a good question. I think um, payments is an area where it continues to even outbeat our internal plan. And so my expectation is that's going to continue. It's something that we push with every deal. Um, it's the, the more that we get involved, it's, it's also involved in, in a lot of our um, inside sales, which also continues to, to outpace, um, you know, quarter after quarter. Um, as it relates to rapid, you know, we're still pretty early. We're, what, nine months, eight months into the rapid acquisition. Um, we've got a lot of good traction. Um, we've got a lot of deals that are, that are in the works that are really pretty exciting deals um, that we wouldn't have without rapid um, and that are going to add uh, really some extra – um, you know, extra revenues down the road. So, you know, where we are with payments right now is uh, I'm excited about where we are. I'm really excited about the rapid deal. Um, it's something that's uh, being pushed throughout our entire sales channel, and, and I, I, I would expect that to, to continue to grow. And I, I would point out that there is a lag typically from the time we sign a new payments deal to the time those revenues um, start hitting the income statement. Um, it might be a quarter or two. It might be longer. Um, they... Often we're replacing an incumbent payments provider, and so there may be some time period for um, that change to take place, or um, the payments are associated with uh, the implementation of a new solution, like a utility billing solution, and so those payments um, start when that new system is implemented. So um, the, the fact that we're continuing to see a growing number of new deals signed um, bodes well for future revenue growth in that area, but it, it is an instant. Got, got it. Thanks for that as well, Brian. I guess maybe, Brian, just a follow-up question, and then I'll get back in the queue. Is, um, it was good to call out that, you know, the lumpiness and large deal kind of exposure that you all have. So the $20 million deal, if you back it out, I mean, it, the software contract value was down a little bit year over year. You know, it sounds like year-to-date there's been robust demand activity, but I'm just kind of curious, you know, w was there smaller, large deals in the quarter and you know, compared to maybe last year's 2Q? And then, and, and you know, is there anything we should call out into 3Q that UI anniversary, like a big deal like last year in 2Q? Thank you. Yeah, it was a tough comp um, from a bookings perspective. This year, our biggest deal was an $8.8 .8 million total contract value, the, the Michigan uh, Bureau of, of Elections. Um, and we, and on the SAS side, um, and then we had... Um, Oh, I guess uh, five other deals that were worth more than $2 million. Um, and one large license deal, the Missouri Highway Patrol deal, 
Last year, we had um, the New Jersey deal, which was a $20 million deal, so we don't have anything that approached that, that, that size deal this year. And we also had a $13 million license deal um, with the tax system in Montreal. Um, so there were um, a, just a number of large deals last year. This year was much more, um, I'd say, kind of normal. Um, That's helpful. In Q3, I don't um, believe we have a, um, a, a meaningful sort of comp issue. I think our biggest uh, license deal was a, a $2.5 million deal. Um, and um, we did have, on the SAS side, um, we did have the very large deal with the State Department last year in Q3, which was a total contract value of north of $50 million. Um, and we had um, a statewide uh, supervision deal that was a $15 million SAS deal. Um, so um, those will um, make for um, a difficult comp on the SAS side next quarter. Yeah, I think what's interesting there, Terry, is while there were no huge mega deals this quarter, um, really across the board, all of our divisions are outperforming plan and, and what they're seeing in their sales and, um, and in their pipeline and in their activity. So, you know, typically there's always puts and takes, but um, really this is really just a strong quarter across the board, both from a revenue standpoint and an execution standpoint. Yeah, we've talked for a long time about the, the lumpiness of those mega deals. They um, come along from time to time. We, um, in some of these um, product areas, were like courts and justice and tax. We're, we're very well positioned to win those, but they're not here every quarter. Um, so uh, um, they do create some lumpiness, whether it's SAS or, or license bookings. Understood. Good luck in the 3Q. Thanks. Your next question comes from the line of Gabriella Borges from Goldman Sachs. Your line is open. Hi, good morning, thank you. I wanted to follow up on the comment on RFPs and demos now being at or above pre-COVID highs. Would love to get a little bit of color. How much of that is activity changing at the customer versus maybe Tyler-specific initiatives? And is there any reason to think that the quality of these RFPs and demos could be better or worse? In other words, how do you think about conversion rates for some of this great top of funnel pipeline activity relative to history? Yeah, Gabriel, I think, you know, it's just a, it's the RFPs and demos up. Um, it's just a function of the market. And I think there's probably still been a little bit of hangover from COVID. Um, but we're seeing it really across the board, across all of our um, business units. Um, as it relates to the quality of RFPs, I, I think there are um, certain business units where we're actually probably being even a little bit more selective, which I think is going to increase our win rates. I know we're doing that, for example, at Public Safety. Um, but generally speaking, it's just it's just a healthy market right now. Yeah, and I think it's it's you know a combination of both the strength of the market. Um, uh, I think the stimulus is a, a factor there, but not the major factor. Um, but also um, the strength of Tyler's um, broader presence, the ability for us to um, leverage our customer relationships and, and see more opportunities and see some of those opportunities sooner um, through the NIC um, state contracts and, and our ability. We talk about RFPs and demos, but 
um, a growing number of our deals take place without RFPs. So in sole source or um, deals that, that bypass that, uh, that formal RFP process. So that's a positive for us as well. Good stuff, thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Josh Riley from Needham. Your line is open. All right, thanks for taking my question and nice job on the quarter here. Uh, subscription and maintenance uh, gross margin was higher in the quarter. Uh, maybe you can give us some color on what drove that increase quarter over quarter and how is the cloud migration impacting gross margin near term here versus some of the operating expense line items? Thank you. Well, I think um, we continue to see operating efficiencies um, around, you know, a number of aspects of our business, but they're, they're certainly impacting um, our our recurring revenues and our, our staff business. Um, we're um, continuing to um, be uh, very efficient around managing our, our staffing levels. Um, we're seeing some of the um, efficiency gains, for example, um, around the digital solutions or former NIC business that um, from changes that have been made there um, to to operate more efficiently. Um, so as we expect that as the SaaS revenues grow, um, margins should continue to expand. I think we're also seeing um, improved efficiencies around our, our uh, public cloud AWS operations and um, better per unit costs as we add more customers there. Um, so even though we are seeing certainly pressure on margins because of the cloud transition, the things we've talked about, the uh, um, the bubble costs around um, until we exit our, our proprietary data centers, um, we are seeing efficiency gains around um, those operations as we um, continue to, to scale those. Your next question comes from the line of Sakit Kalia from Barclays, your line is open. Okay, great, hey, good morning, Lynn. Good morning, Brian, thanks for taking my questions here. Um, Brian, maybe maybe just maybe just for you, uh, great to see the SaaS revenue here, I think continue to grow 20% plus uh, in, in the quarter. I, I know that that's the, the, the CAGR that we talked about at, at Analyst Day recently, I think out to 25. So maybe the question is, should we sort of think about this continuing pretty steady in this range in, in the medium term? Or should we think about just maybe a little bit of a different shape around SaaS revenue over, over the next couple of years? Just curious how you think about, you know, kind of this quarter's growth in the context of that long-term target. Yeah, I think, um, you know, in the, in the investor day, I think we actually talked about kind of high teens CAGR over that, you know, period collectively from now through 2030. Um, so, you know, right now and for the next few years, we'll continue to see um, a bump to the growth from the flips from our on-prem customers. And, and over time, I mean, that certainly will accelerate over the next few years and then we'll wind down as, as we, we talked about the, the cadence that we expect to uh, convert those customers over. So we are getting... Um, uh, you know, a higher benefit from those flips, and we'll continue to see that. But, but I think ultimately, um, it moves more into the the teens. But um, 
but I'd expect to see this you know, growth in this range for um, the near future. Got it, got it. And then if I could fit in a, a housekeeping question, a really interesting point you made in, in, your, uh, in your prepared remarks, Brian, just on having one customer switch from gross to net in, in the payments business here in Q3. Could, could you just maybe dig into how much of a revenue impact that is in, in Q3 that we should think about? And is this going to be more of a trend or, or do you think this is a, a little bit of a one-off? Yeah, I think we actually talked about that at our um, when we gave guidance for the full year. Um, there is one state that's about a ten and a half that's changing mid-year, um, so that impact will start to hit this year. And and we estimated that at around um, ten and a half million dollars in the second half of the year. Um, probably a little more of that impact is in Q3. Um, it's it, it happens really on a state or a customer by customer basis. The vast majority of our business is on the gross model, and we expect that to continue to be the case. Um, customers generally prefer um, the certainty and the predictability around um, having us assume the responsibility for the merchant and interchange fees and have a, um, a set percentage that they're going to um, pay um, for their uh, payments processing. Um, there are some, some customers that um, are, are willing to accept that risk uh, around those um, merchant interchange fees and prefer the the net model, and sometimes there are changes there as we as we've seen this year. Really, I think we had two states that that that's been the case with this year. Um, but again, generally we would expect that the vast majority of our payments business would continue to be on the gross model. Got it. Thanks, guys. Appreciate the time. Your next question comes from the line of Alex Zukin from Wolf Research. Your line is open. Hey, this is Ethan Barkon for Alex Zukin. Thank you for taking the question. I have a I have two parts to you. Just first, can you talk a little bit about the shape of the quarter? Just comment a bit about kind of the van environment coming in and out of the analyst day. And then just a question on the SAC flips and how did it perform just relative to your internal expectations as we look at about a year, kind of versus the flips versus a year ago, and just how to think about that trending through the rest of this year and into 2024? Yes. Um, the first was around the demand environment. Um, yeah, the demand environment, um, as we said in the prepared remarks, is um, stable or, or growing generally at, at or above kind of our pre-COVID highs. Um, so very robust demand environment coming out of Investor Day and, and uh, really very similar to what we've seen throughout this year and, and don't see signs of that changing right now. Um, so, so stable at a high level. Um, with respect to flips, I'd say generally we're performing a long plan. The number of flips is, is very similar to um, last year, but the dollar value is higher. So we are seeing bigger customers flip. Um, and, and I think that'll continue to be the case, especially in the early days um, of flips. Most of the customers doing that were on the small end. Today, we're seeing more of the larger customers. Um, we talked about a couple this quarter that were on the larger side, um, you know, a large county in Georgia with a court system. Um, as I said, we've seen our first couple of public safety customers flip. Um, so I, I'd say generally um, those migrations are, are in line with our expectations for the year.
Your next question comes from the line of Michael Turin from Wells Fargo Securities. Your line is open. Hey, great. Uh, good morning. Thanks for taking the question. I, I wanted to go back to something um, that was asked earlier, but with a slightly different tilt. Um, if we look at the subscription mix as a percent of total contracts, it's very consistent with what we've seen recently. If we look at the, the TCV and the term metrics, they're, they're down a bit. And this is less a year-on-year -year comparison um, question and more just wondering if there's anything to call out in terms of customer behavior, whether it's rising rates or something that might be driving a, a slightly smaller initial deal size. And then just thinking through if there are impacts that flow into the backlog or bookings numbers that we're looking at, um, just wanting to reconcile if there's anything to call out there um, and just try to kind of calibrate on maybe what to expect on those metrics rest of the year. Thanks. Yeah, um, I don't think there's anything um, of note um, around that. Um, it, the mix of what deal sign in any given quarter um, can just vary a lot depending on, on the timing of, of when those things happen and what happens to be in the pipeline. So I don't think there's a trend to call out or anything, any macro um, condition that, that's affecting that. Um, we continue to, uh, if we look at comparison to last year, I think some of those metrics are skewed a bit by those very large deals. Um, but I don't think there's anything really notable to call out there, and I'd expect that um, um, generally we we expect to continue to see um, deal sizes grow over time. Um, but, um, you know, it's hard to predict exactly what will happen in Q3 or Q4, but um, don't think there's anything fundamentally changing in the, the, uh, the market around that. Yeah, I think I, I would add there that, you know, generally there's a couple areas in our business that sign larger deals. Um, appraisal and tax often has some very large deal, multi-year deals. Our, our courts and justice, enterprise um, justice has some very large deals. And, you know, the appraisal and tax stuff can be a little cyclical. The large deals are, you know, they come and they go. We've talked about it for years. That's what makes, that's one reason why we stopped talking about bookings numbers and, and started focusing on different metrics. Um, I'd go back to my comment earlier today that really performance across the board is, has been has been really solid and, and actually above plan um, in Q2, which was is pretty exciting to see, given as well as the you know our competitive position and and sort of the demand nature that's out there right now. Appreciate the, the thoughts. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Kirk Matern from Evercore ISI. Your line is open. Uh, yeah, thanks very much. Uh, morning, guys. Uh, question on, on sort of flips. Uh, I was wondering, Lynn, if you could talk a little bit about, you know, when customers are considering moving from on-prem to cloud, is, is that a cross-sell opportunity as well for you all? Meaning when they're having that discussion, is that giving you all an opportunity to go in and, and talk about the sort of uh, other products that might hang off, the, you know, the, the, pro the uh, product they're moving to the cloud? I was just wondering if you have any thought process or there's anything you could share in terms of, you know, what what percentage of flips come along with, you know, incremental revenue associated with it? Yeah, no, that's a that's a good point. You're right. That's a that's a big part of our sales strategy, and and I'd say we actually probably call that more an up, an upsell opportunity. We talk about cross sales and upsells. Um, you know, it's a, it's an opportunity to add things like our data insight solutions, our payment solutions, as well as just other 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 things. So, uh, and we talked earlier about how 
you know, a lot of this requires the customers to upgrade to a, a newer version of the software, um, which also opens up doors for, for other modules and things that, that, that are more compatible. And can you talk about just, you know, in terms of moving to the cloud, obviously, as people start talking more about generative AI and AI in general, you know, take advantage of that, you know, you sort of need to be in the cloud. Has that started to percolate at all as a, as a dis topic of discussion for customers to move on over to the cloud, or is it still just super early days in, in the, in the uh, public sector? I think from a customer standpoint, the concept of AI is, is very early days. As you know, our customer base is... Um, generally pretty conservative, pretty risk-averse, um, and I think they probably are more on a wait-and-see approach. Now, we at Tyler are not – we're not just sitting around taking a wait-and-see approach. We are we are actively looking at AI. Uh, we formed an, our own AI task committee. We're, we're actively already using a little bit of AI. Um, we're looking at things about how it can improve some of our internal efficiencies. We're looking at things at how it can improve our competitiveness as well as how it can it can improve our clients' efficiencies. So we're looking at that right now, but I would say from a Tyler perspective, we're pretty early on, and from a client's perspective, they're even earlier on. Great. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Charles Strauser from CJ Security, Inc. Your line is open. Hi, good, good morning. Um, just a quick question. Just you know, it seems like every you know, month or so there's a you know, the high-profile data breach. You know, the latest one being the you know the move it uh, you know, data data breach that uh, has been in the news, uh, impacting government clients and and private businesses. Have, have you seen any impact on your business from that? Um, and, and more importantly, are you seeing you know opportunities from that as well? Yeah, I mean it's 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 an unfortunate reality of of doing business. Um, is is the world of cybersecurity and breaches, and um, you know our, our clients are not immune to it. I, I think there's there's been a fair number of those over the last couple of years. I, my guess is for the ones that are publicized, there's probably even more that are not. It does create opportunities for us. I think it creates opportunities to flip people into the cloud. Uh, it's creating opportunities around, for example, our cybersecurity uh, offering. Um, we didn't talk a lot about it last year. We had a client last year. Um, in Arizona that we had been trying to flip to the cloud uh, for really for some time, and, and they had a, a security breach, and that was the decision point for them to, to pull the trigger and, and flip to the cloud. So, um, again, it's an unfortunate part of, of doing business, um, but I think that also creates opportunities um, for our clients to, to move into more se secure environments. Great. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Jonathan Ho from William Blair. Your line is open. Hi, good morning. Um, just wanted to maybe understand some of uh, you know, sort of your comments around uh, you know, seeing some additional uh, margin pressure around employee increases. You know, is this a change relative to your prior expectations? And can you maybe you know, walk through some of the dynamics or the details around that? Thank you. Yeah, it's really it's not it's not around our our labor costs generally or um, our, our headcount, it was really more around healthcare. Um, you know, we, we budget healthcare every year. Um, we, we do the best we can. We model it based on last year's practices. And we've just been experiencing a, a higher level of employee claims this year uh, than, than to budget. Um, last year, I think our, our, our employee claims were a little bit below budget. This year, they're, they're trending higher. Um, and, you know, we're just, we're just trying to, to grapple with that as we, as we go forward. Um, it's something that 
we're probably modeling to continue throughout the rest of the year. Um, but they, there's ebbs and flows as it relates to healthcare. Yeah, the, clearly there's there continues to be higher inflation. I think um, on the healthcare side, even than than uh, in the environment in general, um, utilization is up. Um, more high claims experience. So, um, you know, we continue to monitor it. We, we believe we uh, have. Uh, um, Adjusted our expectations for the balance of the year in our guidance, but um, but it is uh, would point out that it's it's um, several million dollars of expense um, in the first half of the year above what our expectations were, and so I think that makes our um, the performance we've turned in for the um, first half of the year even even more um, positive. But um, but and you see that um, you know. Throughout our, our margins, but but also especially in the SG&A side. As a as a reminder, if you'd like to ask a question, please press star one on your telephone keypad. Your next question comes from the line of Keith Husum from North Coast Research. Your line is open. Great, guys. Good morning. Hey, Brian, question for you on your commentary regarding the public safety segment having the first, uh, the best first half of the year. Is there something in the market that's helping to contribute to that, or is this a market share game? But how do you guys explain, I guess, your success you're having there? I'd say it's a couple things, Keith. Um, market activity is really strong in public safety. We're, we're seeing demos right now are on pace for their highest level in, in, in a year that we've seen in a long time. Proposals are up. Um, our competitive position is good. Um, we've done we've done some internal resets at Public Safety, um, and, and uh, really kind of excited about where we are. I mean, we landed three really large deals this quarter, um, sort of in the range of 1.8 to two two million dollars range, um, which we haven't done in a, in a while. So um, we're excited about what's going on at Public Safety. Um, we're excited about where the market is and and some of the things we've done internally to to capture that market. Yeah, the competitive position is, is continues to improve. Um, we've made investments in that product over the the last several years, um, and I think the the integration with some of the other acquisitions we've made, um, like our enforcement mobile product, um, um, our data and analytics capabilities are very very strong, and so all of those things that that create a, a very strong integrated public safety platform. Along with the integration um, to our um, courts and justice um, platform, um, continue to improve our market position. Yeah, our, our mobility platform, big differentiator. Um, and I think what's also encouraging is that we talked about it. I think Brian mentioned his, his remarks earlier is the fact that the public safety market is is really starting to slowly, I'll say slowly, but embrace uh, movement to the cloud. Um, it's, it's been it's been sort of moving at a snail's pace. I'm not suggesting it's it's going crazy, but we're, we are seeing a lot more receptiveness, uh, which was highlighted by some of the deals we talked about earlier. Great, thank you. We have no further questions at this time. I will now turn the call back over to Lynn Moore for any further remarks. Thanks, Colby, and and thanks everybody for joining us today. If you have any further questions, please feel free to contact Brian Miller or myself. Have a good day.
This concludes today's conference call. You may now disconnect.